And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to Shout Out, your weekly dose of all things LGBT+. I'm Andy Shorten. And I'm Steffi Barnett. Today on the show, Claire Payne. Uh, we played her last week, but this week she's going to intro herself with her very own My Five. I catch up with the lovely Rosie Wilby about all things Liverpudlian and her new book. And talking about Terry's here with the top five LGBT books this month. All in the next hour. Right here on Shout Out. Well, at least we got the Olympics right. I mean, let, let's face it, it was a damn sight better than this year's uh, Eurovision, wasn't it? Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh, poor James. Yes, yeah, he did poor so guy. Well. Yeah, I felt sorry for him. There yeah. was no way he deserved null point. No. no way don't forget, um, Spain and Germany oh, also know. got zero points. They, oh. they did, but uh, we got we got absolute zero, didn't we? We didn't get anything from the jury nor from the, the jury. No, uh, no. The, but the, popu- the, the popular vote gave zero to uh, Spain and Germany as well. So that is true. That yeah. is true. He mm. wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. Yeah, no, he was very much alone, and I won't lie, he sang out of tune, if you ask me. So um, I I was, I was listening to it, and I'm like, oh, that was a bit of a bum note. Um, But um, but yeah, I was really surprised because the the um, public vote completely swung it round, didn't it? Um, And I didn't mind France. Um, um, I did like one of the others. I think I came back third or fourth in the end. Um, I really liked her her song. Uh, but yeah, there you go. Another year, another 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 reason another why we shouldn't one. have Brexited. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it, do, it, do you know that there are actually PhD theses that have been written on Eurovision and how it reflects uh, political attitudes across the continent? You know, the way in which Cyprus and Greece always vote for each other. And yeah. So on and so forth. And Britain yeah. isn't that popular on the continent, it would seem. So there is we that feeling for a while, as well. Have we? You know, I mean, didn't they, they, brought Andrew, they brought Andrew Lloyd Webber in a few years ago to help write the perfect track, and we still got non poor. You know? They did. I, th- I think, though, a lot of the music that we end up putting into Eurovision isn't the best of what we're doing in the UK. It's it, it, it's a little bit out of date with what we're doing. Or in some cases, if you look at 1985, Love City Groove was completely off the wall it compared was, to what it? the rest of Europe were doing at the time. Rap, sort of almost rap, sort of soul hadn't really hit the rest of Europe. And oh, there so we do. I remember that track. I remember that one. And yeah. then we do get it right, like with Gemini, and then they make such a like mess of it on on stage. Yes, <laughs> they, they say like, they oh, were we not hear it. They? they said that they couldn't hear it. It's like well, you were the That's only right, ones yeah. that couldn't because they all all the rest <laughs> of them sung in tune. So I did like um, I did like when um, Sweden gave their uh, was it Sweden gave their points and and he was like you know uh, Deuce Pont uh, yeah yeah ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that. Is that a cultural meme? 
Um, there was um, um, a Will Ferrell film that came out on Netflix last year during lockdown um, right. called um, Eurovision Fire Saga and it was all about um, oh, he right, was okay. Swedish and they were trying to get um, it was Swedish wasn't it I'm sure Icelandic. it was Swedish. Iceland Iceland that was it yeah um, and he was trying trying to get them into Eurovision it's a really good funny film but one of the one of the songs in it he performs locally in the local pub and it's called Ya Ya Ding Dong and when he goes to the pub and he's like we're going to perform our, our Eurovision song for you they're like no 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 we want Ya Ya Ding Dong and all they want is Ya Ya Ding Dong so they got the actor that played the part that did that in the film to do their presentation um, uh, okay. during Eurovision so when Iceland came to give their points he was like I want to give 12 points to Ya Ya Ding Dong and of course that was it the audience <laughs> were howling with laughter it was brilliant <laughs> so. well I was going to say that there is a there was a Eurovision winner called Ding A Dong which was uh, the, the a few years ago by the sounds of it <laughs> uh, 1972 I think it was it was oh, the right. entry that won it for um, Holland I think it was in 1972 oh. okay. uh, okay. of course one of, yes. one of the best ones making your mind up was another one that stuck in everyone's minds forever yep Good old Bucks Fizz, yeah. the, well, a fantastic the, record more raciness of them ripping the skirts off from what I'm told which was not a done thing back in those days especially off men yeah <laughs> <laughs> so. they were very good and such lovely people as well Steph aren't they because we've met them yes. yeah we interviewed some, some them, of them. Yeah. yeah we interviewed them didn't we it's Cheryl yeah. and yeah. Mike Nolan yeah, yeah. lovely yeah. people yeah. they're really nice Anyway, uh, talking to lovely people, uh, we played a song last week, so we are going to play it again. But um, um, here is Chloe um, uh, introducing her own stuff. Have a listen to this. My five on shout out. Hi, I'm Chloe Payne, and I'm a solo artist from Hampshire. I've been singing since I was at school, where I was really into musical theatre, but sadly I was an awful dancer, so decided to follow singing and music instead. I recently graduated from ACM in Guildford, where I did a music degree. I spent most of my time there songwriting and recording loads of pop tracks. I'm gay and have been in a few bad relationships, so a lot of my songs are breakup songs. But I do hope that other LGBTQ plus women enjoy my songs and find that they can help them through their own relationship troubles. When I was younger, there weren't that many out female singers, so I'd love to be someone that people in the community can relate to. I currently teach music to children in bands in School of Rock style lessons. I'm also a kids football coach at the weekend, which I absolutely love. Football is another one of my big passions. Music-wise, I released my first single, Out of Luck, in February, which went really well and was played a few times on BBC Introducing. I also just released my second single, Did You Think, on May the 21st. You can check both of these feel-good groovy tracks out on all platforms, including Spotify and Apple Music. I'm hoping to book loads of gigs around the country after covid and eventually to be able to write, record and perform full-time. At the moment, I'm working with Hozo Dance on my next project, which is the Out of Luck music video. We're filming next month in London, and I'm so excited for it. 
If anyone wants to see some behind the scenes videos or likes my music, you can give me a follow on Instagram at Chloe Payne Music or on Facebook at Chloe Payne Official. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a story you could tell in five minutes, get in contact. Visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. And yes, if you were listening last week, you're not imagining things. We did play it last week. But it, it was kind of like pre-release last week, which is uh, our excuse, and uh, that's what we're sticking to. It's <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah, yeah. I've got um, uh, another new release coming up in a bit too. Um, but um, uh, it's time to get news headlines first, if you don't mind, Terry. Not at all. This is Shout Out News Headlines on Thursday the 27th of May. Trans activists are celebrating following the refusal of a judicial review for the Authentic Equity Alliance, a litigious front group for the LGB Alliance which aims to split the traditional LGBTQ movement. The Alliance had sought leave to challenge the guidance of the Equality and Human Rights Commission on trans equalities. In particular, the anti-trans activists had sought to restrict the circumstances under which trans women are protected under the 2010 Equality Act and to maximise the number of spaces where agencies could refuse services. In the event, the judges refused the Authentic Equity Alliance permission for a judicial review. Our thanks to the Trans Safety Network for their comprehensive transcriptions of the legal case. Trans Safety Network is a useful resource in monitoring the convergent activity of the far right, religious extremist and gender critical feminist groups. The Atheist magazine, The Freethinker, reports that the veteran gay humanist activist George Broadhead has passed away at the age of 87. Mr Broadhead was for many years the secretary of the Gay Humanist Group, which later became the Gay and Lesbian Humanist Association, and these days is the LGBTQ group within the Humanist Network. Mr Broadhead helped found the organisation in 1979. At the time, the moral might crusader Mary Whitehouse was busy trying to get gay news closed down, and she often referred darkly to the secret power of these gays and atheists. Well, Mr Broadhead reasoned that it was exactly the right time to bring together these groups and unite the large number of non-religious LGBTQ people. Through the 80s, Gala published a magazine and pursued activism. It set up an ad hoc group, People opposing papal edicts to join with other atheist groups in opposition to the visit of the Pope to the UK in 1982. It invaded the churches of homophobic extremists and picketed the offices of a conservative councillor who expressed a desire to murder gay people. Yes, this was the horrific 1980s. Tributes to Mr Broadhead's decades of activism came from across the LGBTQ and atheist nets, including from Terry Sanderson, formerly of the National Secular Society and Gay Times magazine. 
the United Kingdom failed to secure any votes in the Eurovision Song Contest on Saturday evening. The contest, this year transmitted from gay-friendly Rotterdam after a year's delay due to the coronavirus pandemic, has long been a staple of LGBTQ households nationwide. But the glory days of winners such as Sandy Shaw, Brotherhood of Man and the still-gigging Bucks Fizz sadly seem to elude the, the country. For the second time in 20 years, the UK gained absolutely no points from either the general public or the professional juries, leading to a humiliating non-poir score. James Newman, the entrant for the UK, put on a brave face and he enjoyed lots of support within the arena where diehard Eurovision fans understand the money and support given the contest by the UK year on year. The reasons for the exceptionally poor performance are complex and believe it or not, numerous academic PhD theses have been addressing the politics of Eurovision. According to several of these dissertations, the UK is unpopular within the European public because of its political governance, which is seen as conservative, illiberal and intolerant. Its immigration policy is apparently viewed as cruel and inhumane and the attitudes of people usually described here as Daily Mail readers are seen as arrogant, ignorant and xenophobically stupid. Anyway, the winning song in 2021 was from an established Italian rock band, and those who comment on music trends believe that the charisma of the Italian group, who played with 70s-style leather clothing, merged with a catchy guitar riff to capture the popular imagination. And finally, the Dutch icon Nicky de Jagger, a YouTube star with around 14 million followers on the internet, became the first trans person ever to present at the Eurovision Song Contest, where there were an unusual four hosts representing different backgrounds, genders and races. Pop Buzz reports that the semi-final of the contest, de Jagger wore a black dress with crystals representing the colours of the trans pride flag. Mr Jagger is said to be worth around £6 million and has been creating content for YouTube for the last four years. She is known popularly as Nikki Tutorials. For these news stories in further detail and much, much more, check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, I've been Terry Starr. <laughs> Shout out news, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout out LGBT radio for you. The shout out podcast. That's uh, Hold Me, and that's by uh, London-based artist uh, Damien Jones, originally from uh, Australia. Uh, actually, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Steph, written uh, on his farm in Australia. Yeah, um, yeah. he takes um, his um, inspiration from the likes of Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, Julia Michaels, um, and as he, he points out, he, he writes straight from the heart. Mm. Yeah, quite like that song. Quite nice. Yeah, it's good. not out yet. Not, not out yet. Uh, July the seventeenth. Oh, there you go. Ooh. So, quite, oh, sorry, quite June, away. June. No, the June the seventeenth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like not too far. Then. Sorry, Damien. His his heart must have skipped a beat. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, um, I believe you've been catching up with um, old friend of the show, uh, Rosie Willby. 
Yeah, she, she's great. Um, uh, those uh, who have been to shout out since the beginning will know Rosie is a friend of um, of our Rose. Paths have uh, crossed many and, times on shout outs. Yeah, as well. and she she's a comedian and actually did stand up with with Rose, and um, it was great to catch up with her. And um, she's uh, got her hand in now in her second book. Oh, nice. Well, I would play it if, if, if it would play. Uh, always technical issues, bear with me. Let's see if we can find yeah, it here. Potter's Wheel to go around. Potter's Wheel, there cars. we go. <laughs> I have to no. just say it's a good idea, isn't it? Oh. Now, sometimes it's great that we... Now, sometimes go. it's great that we hear about LGBTQ plus uh, people rising to the top and one of those is Rosie Wilby you know Rosie started life in Liverpool now what I find funny Rosie is that <laughs> I, there's there's not a hint of a Liverpoolian accent <laughs> are <laughs> what are you saying no I'm afraid yeah I grew up in a town called Ormskirk in Lancashire which is not too far from Liverpool but everyone had a weird mixture of accents there um, so some people had a really strong Lancashire accent accent um, and some people were Morse cows with the Liverpool accent and I don't know some people kind of fell through the cracks and had a weird hybrid accent and I, I'm sure when I was growing up I did sound more northern than I sound now but having spent really pretty much all of my adulthood in London and having mixed with so many of them there southerners <laughs> I kind of my accent has changed a lot and it probably sort of changes a little when I go back up north and stay with my dad and when I'm chatting with him but yeah I've never had a, a super strong accent but I do I really love the Liverpool accent actually. I do I think it's really yeah. colourful and fun yeah. but I was never really a proper scouser um, because even though I was born in a hospital in Liverpool I actually grew up in Ormskirk which is right. yeah a sort of quaint little market town <laughs> that doesn't necessarily have a lot going on <laughs> including accents <laughs> <laughs> did the uh, the stuff that was surrounding um liverpool and within because obviously uh, liverpool was huge in the 60s and 70s was there anything that inspired you to do what you're doing now well i mean i um i was born in 1970 and so was sort of growing up you know, I was a teenager in the 80s and starting to kind of sometimes go into Liverpool and go out in Liverpool. And then when I came out right at the end of the 80s, when I was a student, was sort of coming out around 1990, early 90s time, I started going to some of the gay bars and clubs in, in Check Liverpool. you out. <laughs> I know, which... Um, and my first my first ever girlfriend actually was a proper scouser and she was a DJ at... Um, oh, now there was a women's lesbian club night and I'm trying to remember what it was called but I can't remember <laughs> um, but she was a DJ there for a while so she was Susie and uh, yeah loads of people would come up and chat to her um, and sometimes I'd help her like change her records over and stuff um, oh, nice. but yeah so I was um, yeah I was definitely interested in the kind of cultural scene in Liverpool and obviously you know the legacy of the Beatles and, and music and Arcilla <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, because when I first started doing creative work, it was actually music that I first threw out my 20s in the 1990s. I had bands and I was writing songs and we did actually come back to play 
in Liverpool and did play a gig at the Cavern, although, of course, the Cavern moved, didn't it? It wasn't the actual original one. But, um, yeah, it was was all about music, really, for that Mm. kind of decade. Because you started the band, didn't you, originally, but then went solo. Yeah, I did. And I released an album just under the name Will Be, my surname, which was a kind of loose band name that we used to basically suggest that it was me and a slightly revolving bunch of musicians, although there were some real regulars who were fabulous musicians and great people to have spent those years playing music with. Um, Yeah, but I I kind of went solo and I was doing a lot of acoustic solo gigs for a while. But I think when I was doing those, I was aware that I didn't have this band around me making a big noise and making this kind of upbeat sound. And so I started telling songs, uh, telling stories rather in between the songs and doing a bit of self-deprecating humour. And that's really where the idea to do comedy came from and stand up. And so in the sort of kind of early to mid noughties between about sort of 2004 to 2006, I tentatively dipped my toes into entering some stand up comedy competitions, particularly one called Funny Women, which I entered in 2006 and found myself going through to the final at the comedy store. And so then really I still dabbled a bit in music but switched over to comedy as my main form of artistic expression yeah. and creative endeavour if you like. Because you were in so, print media as well and broadcast media. Well it is true I have <laughs> turned my hand to many things <laughs> always juggling uh, multitasking yes you're right when I was doing music in the sort of mid 90s I was also a music journalist at Time Out magazine and a few other kind of local London papers this is of course when I had moved to London from being up north and um, so yeah it was interesting times because I suppose kind of mid 90s was very much the Britpop era when uh, you know British music was cool and you know, even I got caught up in the sort of blurvy oasis and, you know, yeah. pulp and all the bands that were around then. I mean, there weren't as many women, of course. Britpop wasn't <laughs> a particularly feminist movement. <laughs> but actually, in one of my comedy shows, I did revisit and try and subvert the famous Liam Gallagher and Patsy Kensett image that was a Vanity Fair cover once and myself and my girlfriend did a kind of queer version of that and we spoofed it really really well with the Union Jack duvet and uh, all the little kind of props and accessories that they had and we uh, yeah photographer friend took it directly from above Mm. we had to go and hijack somebody's flat who had this kind of balcony (laughs) that looked over the lounge so that we could take it from the correct angle and take it from directly above Mm. um so (laughs) so yeah you know there's been a lot of thought that have gone into my you know kind of comedy shows and all all the kind of creative work that i've i've done over the years i don't think people realize how much detail there is in planning even something like a photo for your poster (laughs) yeah i'm sure people don't yeah um now what got you into writing books what inspired you to do your first book because you you've you've just launched your second is that right yeah, well, the second one is just about to come out, but I'm starting to do all these kind of interviews like this one with you and all the promotion. And so I 
I'd always thought about writing a book. I mean, my mum had always loved writing and, and she never actually published a book, but she always wrote little stories in her own notebooks. And, and when she died, she'd left um, a kind of kind of handwritten memoir of sorts that members of the family typed up. And I think she would have really loved to have written a book and had a book published. So it was something, I suppose, in my blood a little bit because she'd been in English literature lecturer at a higher education college and yeah I think when I started doing my comedy shows that were investigating love relationships and sexuality and really trying to look at our relationships through a queer lens um, because we find so many sort of textbooks about how love works really take a very heteronormative stance and sort of have a disclaimer right at the beginning saying oh you know we'll just assume that um, those other relationships work the same as uh, as you know relationships between a man and a woman so apologies for our heteronormative language but you know there's always this kind of rather blanket assumption that all relationships are the same whereas I think there's actually quite nuanced differences when you have a relationship between people of the same sex or gender or people who are non-binary or people who are trans you know we all bring different things to the table if we've had different life experiences and you know obviously I've generally had relationships with other cis women and so we bring our experience our experiences of being women to the table in a relationship Mm. and I think that's very different to you know relationships where I know where there are two gay men having a relationship together um, and they have a different kind of experience in the world so yeah I was keen to write books that could investigate relationships in some ways a universal way and looking at how you know love is very complex for all of us but definitely looking at the you know the really intricacies of how how those dynamics play out in queer relationships so uh yeah the first book that i wrote was called is monogamy dead which was based on a comedy show that i did a few years ago now at the edinburgh fringe and toured around a bit And it was the middle part of a whole trilogy that I did investigating love and relationships. And that was sort of loosely based on a survey that I did online where I asked people what counts as cheating, which, you know, I think is actually a more complex question than we realise, because for some people it might be defined around emotions and feelings. For some people it might be defined purely around sex and what somebody does in a physical sense. So... That very much embedded my own personal journey of sort of exploring how I'd always been monogamous but actually very serially monogamous and had been through quite a few breakups and whether that really still counted as monogamy in the the strict sense, um, you know, the Greek origins of the word or that it means one marriage for life, you know, whereas now we've kind of adapted that to mean one marriage at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, indeed. (laughs) So I I was kind of looking at my own experience, but then the kind of science and sociology and psychology behind how, you know, a construct like monogamy came about and how, of course, in some parts of the world, um, communities are not particularly monogamous and that can really, really work as well. And we now see more conversations about that in, in the Western world too, about whether polyamory can be a really, you know, ethical and <laughs> sometimes quite a good kind of relationship structure for some people if it works for you. So I think there was a lot to explore with that topic. Um, but then the 
final part of the trilogy that I mentioned was about breakups, which then spun off into a podcast that I've been hosting for the past few years called The Breakup Monologues. And I really wanted at some point to turn that into a book as well, because I think heartbreak is something that we don't always talk about enough. And there are many studies that have actually demonstrated that sharing our story after a breakup is part of our recovery. So I think encouraging people to with some time for reflection, you know, maybe find the humour or humanity in their breakup story can be a really healthy thing. So the Breakup Monologues book is, again, a combination of my own story, some science and psychology, and also other people's stories that they've shared with me. Now, um, the description given um, to your latest book is mixing humour with heartache and science. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's three things that you would not necessarily associate with each other in, in one subject matter. And I think that's, you know, why it's important to look at the science of why we feel heartbroken after a breakup, why it's so difficult to recover sometimes in a very accessible and personal way. Because I think you're right, people who might want to normally sort of go for a humorous or personal memoir, they might not be as inclined to pick up a science textbook. So I think it's quite interesting. It's, it's quite challenging in, as a writer, I think, but I think it's an interesting challenge to combine those things so that people who want to find something relatable about recovering from a breakup can also learn about the fact that they are effectively withdrawing from a drug because when we are with somebody in, in love, there are all these very, very addictive chemicals whizzing around the brain. And so when that person is taken away, we are in withdrawal. And I think it's useful to understand those processes and understand the, the science, the chemical reasons why, <laughs> you know, why we feel lousy. And then we can sort of start to do something about it because we can start to understand about the activities like exercise or laughing or dancing that might help to replenish and replace some of those chemicals in other ways. Mm. Rosie, we've run out of time. Uh, that went so quick. I could have gone on for <laughs> no. another 15 minutes. I know, no worries. Um, that's, uh, I think people will just rush out and, and buy, buy the book because that sounds so interesting. What a lovely way um, to come at what can be, like you say, such a heartbreaking moment, but also mixing that with, with humour and the science. I, I, that is quite intriguing. Yeah, well, it should be, people should be able to find it on all the, all the good bookshops online. And also I'm on Twitter at Rosie Wilby. And the podcast and book are on Instagram at Breakup Monologues. Okay. And if you've got a website, yeah, just rosiewillby.com. That's ah, okay. a fairly straightforward website that people can then sort of use as a jumping off page to go to other bits like uh, the book or the podcast. Um, but yeah, the podcast is also available on all podcast platforms for free. So have a listen to the breakup monologues. Rosie Wilby, thank you for joining Shoutout. Thank you so much. <laughs> Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. 
Well, if ever there was a way to bring out the gay in us all. Uh, originally by Scylla, uh, that's actually a Jane McDonald version. So the original was a slow song, uh, but that's cool. But it does remind me like of 90s clubbing, that one. Very much so. <laughs> I should say 90s Eurovision. Yeah. Yeah, bless her. I think you either love Jane McDonald's or you hate her. I think she's, she's very marmite that track. way, isn't she? But that's I quite like track. that. Yeah, that's got a real kind of like um, you know floor filler back in its day. That was. Um, I, know, I can see Steph bopping along with that. Oh, gets your Zimmer um, shaking, doesn't it, Steph? It does. Yeah, it's a regular. <laughs> that's a regular on my Monday morning show. That one. <laughs> so. Uh, now, um, it's track. time for Good some track, books, Terry, and guess what we got for you? Yes! Ooh, what have you got? <laughs> we end up singing it every single goes. time. <laughs> so, uh, Steph really actually found the track it. for us. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. So, I've yeah. never been so well introduced. Uh, do, you uh, want, yes. do you want me to give you a countdown or are you going to do it in time with we, the music? We, we are going to give the top ten books over the well, next ten minutes. We, 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 I was going to say because the, the track's only two minutes, so please don't oh, do it in time well. to the music because we'll, 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 we won't right fill enough of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay, Steph, do you want to announce number ten then? Okay. At number ten, big, a big, big book poppers, and the band played on "Politics, People, and the AIDS Epidemic" by Randy Shilter. Yeah, the late great Randy Schultz, who was the openly uh-huh. first openly gay journalist dealing with gay issues for the San Francisco Chronicle, and sadly he died in 1994 of uh, an AIDS-related condition. And his book and the band played on was published in 1987. Have any of you read it? No, no but I, I for a minute time. there mistook it for you just mispronouncing my name. <laughs> <laughs> You know, no, yeah, it's, it's similar, isn't it? Randy yeah, Schultz, yes. yeah. yeah. Don't don't start calling me Randy Schultz, please. That's <laughs> a great name. It's a great name. Sadly, he's no longer with us, as I said. But in 1987, the book was published, uh, and it's it's got a. It, it was controversial at the time. Some members of the LGBTQ community criticised it for being quite portentous and uh, overdramatic. Uh, but it is brilliantly written and um, it does c- capture the um, horror, really, of the early years of the AIDS pandemic from sort of like the late 1970s as things began to unfold through to the 1987 point. When things began to change with ACT UP and more activism coming on the scene so um, that is really nice to see that one back in um, print Steph at number one. 9 The Secret to Superhuman Strength by Alison Bechdel mm-hmm. yep all her life Alison has searched for an elusive secret the secret to superhuman strength she has looked for it in her favourite books The Lives of Her Heroes Celibacy Polyamory and Activism Therapy and in a passion for exercise but as she gets older her body isn't getting any stronger and in a changing sometimes overwhelming world are cantaloupe sized guns all a person needs maybe the <laughs> all-important secret is not where she expected to find it. Uh, this is a third graphic memoir from Alison Bedgetail, uh, who's written a deeply layered personal story about selfhood, self-sabotage, mortality, addiction, wonder, and the concerns of a generation. She's, of course, also the writer of the wonderful series of books, Dykes to Watch Out For. 
So, um, so I like, I like really that. Popular. Cantaloupe sized guns. I'm assuming that means like muscles in your arms. So. It does indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Steph, next one. Okay, queer page turners. And number eight, gay bar. Why we went out by Jeremy Atherton Lynn. From leather parties in the Castro to gay liberation front touch ins. From disco at Studio One to dark rooms in Vauxhall railway arches. The gay bar has long been a place of joy, solidarity and sexual expression. But around the world, gay bars are closing. In the wake of this cultural demolition, Jeremy rediscovers the party boys and renegades who lived and loved in these <coughs> spaces. It's also the story of one author's own experience as a mixed race gay man and the transatlantic romance that began one restless night in Soho. Mm. At number seven, Lyra McKee, in her own words, lost, found and remembered by Lyra McKee. Again, somebody no longer with us, of course. Lyra McKee was murdered by dissident factions in the Northern Ireland Troubles uh, a couple of years ago. This is a memorial collection of writings uh, from Lyra, from viral articles and unpublished material that celebrates her life, work and creative legacy. She was murdered in Derry in April 2019, aged just 29. But she has left us behind writings that have been loved by thousands worldwide wide and this book has been compiled by those who knew her best. Lyra of course was a lesbian and wrote on lesbian life as well as politics and culture in Northern Ireland. Staff and crashing into the top 10 at number six Felix Ever After by Karen Callender. I think it's Kaysen Calendar, actually, uh, from award-winning oh, yeah, author so Kaysen. <laughs> comes a relatively young, a revelatory, I beg your pardon, young adult novel about a transgender teen gripping with identity and self-discovery whilst falling in love for the first time. Felix secretly fears he's one marginalisation too many, black, queer and transgender, to ever get his own happily ever after. But as he navigates his feelings, Felix begins a journey of questioning and self-discovery that helps redefine his most important relationship, how he feels about himself. Okay, we're getting closer to the top five slots now. And as we slide into the top five, at number five, Pride, the story of the LGBTQ equality movement by Matthew Todd. Pride documents the milestones in the fight for LGBTQ equality, from the victories of the early activists to the passing of legislation barring discrimination, and the gradual acceptance of the community in politics, sport and the media. Pride is a unique celebration of culture, an account of the ongoing challenges facing the community, and a testament to the equal rights that have been won for many as a result of the passion and determination of the mass movement. That's £20 in hardback. Steph? And at number four, a book pickers forced out a detective story, Prejudice and Resilience by Kevin Maxwell. Uh, this sounds, sounds hard hitting as well. Kevin was a dream candidate for the police. He had long held a desire to serve his community. But as a black gay man from a working class family, he could easily have been a poster boy for the, first, for the force's stated commitment to equal ops. Joining just after the 9-11 attacks, Kevin entered policing, determined to keep communities safe in the face of a changing world. Unfortunately, he came up against entrenched prejudice, open racism and homophobia. For more than 10 years, Kevin strove against the odds until he took the force to an employment tribunal with devastating and dramatic results. That's out now in paperback, priced 9 99 Steph? 
And uh, numeral trois, To Be A Gay Man by Will Young. Yep, the Will Young. In To Be A Gay Man, Will speaks about the gay shame he experienced, revealing the impact it's had on his own life, how he learned to deal with it, and how he can now truthfully say he is gay and happy. Will revisits the darkest extremes he's been to, sharing vulnerabilities, tracing his own navigation through it all, and showing the way for others who might have felt alone in the same experience. He's a friend, champion and mentor, breaking taboos with frank honesty and offering invaluable practical advice on overcoming the difficult issues too often faced within the community. That's also 9.99 and in paperback. Oh, it's the top two. And bumping into the top, number two in their shoes, Navigating Non-Binary Life by Jamie Windhurst. Combining light-hearted anecdotes with their own hard-won wisdom, Jamie explores everything from fashion, dating, relationships and family, through to mental health, work and future key debates. Frank, funny and feisty, this is a book uh, and a call to arms for non-binary self-acceptance, self-appreciation and self-celebration. It's in paperback at 12 99 So what have we got then? And top of the books, at number one, this month on Shout Out, Eye to Eye Portraits of Lesbians by J.E.B. Joan E. Byron is Jeb, and this is a reprint of the 1979 self-published classic Portraits of Lesbians, Eye to Eye. It was revolutionary at the time. Photographs of lesbians from different ages and backgrounds in their everyday lives, working, playing, raising families, and striving to remake their worlds. This is reprinted for the first time in 40 years and features new essays from Lola Flash, the photographer, and former soccer-playing Laurie Lindsay. Eye to Eye is a faithful reproduction of the original 79 work that continues to resonate in the queer community and beyond. Out now in hardback at £25. Brilliant. That's Thank your top you, 10 Terry. LGBTQ books. And thanks to Kate at the News From Nowhere bookshop, uh, top LGBT bookshop in the Northwest, at number 96 Bold Street. Uh, you can find them online at News From Nowhere. Just do a Google search. Marvellous. Thank you. For more information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT Radio for you. The Shoutout Podcast. Uh, the Wellerman. That's by uh, Nathan Evans. Play it again, play it again. I know, it's a really yeah. short song. It's only, encore, it's only like a 1 minute 56 long, that one. <laughs> like a 1950s track. It's cool, isn't it? So, it's, a, a it's, a great, real... it's a great little tune. Yeah. I think it was written in the 1880s, I believe. Yeah, it was uh, first, heard on, first heard on Captain Pugwash. <laughs> really? Oh, really? No, you're no. lying. <laughs> no, you're sure, sure, sure. Just winding us up. But it is a very old piece of music. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's, a, I think it's an old sort of folk type song that's been passed, passed down from the sea shanty. It's a sea, sea yeah. shanty, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. It, it was born on um, TikTok, where there's a bit of a phenomenon happened earlier this year. Um, and um, uh, the original of that, of course, it was all going on in lockdown. There was one guy who Nathan Evans who was just tapping it out himself, and then someone. Someone else added their bit on the top as a bass line. Someone else added trill, etc. Until it built into this amazing song, and it got picked up by a record label. Um, and uh, I have no idea what's happened to him now. I mean, that's that's the last what yeah. an only song I know he's done. Um, but um, surely, they did sign him, so I'm sure we will hear more. 
And just yeah. under two minutes, that must be one of the shortest yeah. tracks to have been in the charts for a long time. Mr. Oh, Harry Potter, I would imagine yeah. so, yeah. I, yeah. I would have thought so, yes. It's uh, yeah. certainly very short. No, so. I should put out there, there is a dialect version of it. There's a fair few more minutes than that. Yes. <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, no, it's a cool one. It's a cool one to kind of like finish on, um, especially after our lovely book uh, rundown. Thank you, Terry. I hope you hope you like your backing track. I love my backing track, and I love the books. I love books. I, I try not to buy any more books because I've got them. I've got book. There's, there's five piles of books to my left in <laughs> the studio. That's why the acoustics are so good. Marvelous. <laughs> it's absorbing all the sound. Yeah, well, if it, if it works, mate, you know these times are need. <laughs> <laughs> so, and lovely to hear Rosie as well. I haven't had Rosie on the show in quite some time. So, um, um, yes. thank you for that, Rosie. It was brilliant, um, brilliant to hear from you. I think Rosie still presents down on Resonance FM in London, doesn't she? Which to is, my uh, knowledge, yes. The the, yeah. uh, the, uh, the the LGBT show down there, yeah. Yeah, but like you heard, she's she's also got um, her own podcast and um, and stuff too. So, yes, uh, yeah, it's all good. So anyway, um, um, after all this horrible weather, good news is next couple of weeks it's supposed to get warmer. A lovely uh, bank holiday warmer. weekend. Mm, yeah, this weekend's um, bank holiday. And of course, uh, we are heading towards Pride, um, so we want it to stay nice and warm uh, because there's nothing yep. worse than Pride in the wet. <laughs> true, true. We, we want the sunshine it. and all these nice weather. So yeah. Yeah, but it's yeah. going to be a nice one this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be no. a nice bank holiday. Three days off, unless you're retired, in which case you've already had three days off beforehand and got three days off after that. And haven't you, Steph? Never mind. Very true. Very true. Anyway, that's it for today's show. Uh, to find out more about us and hear our other shows, please do check us out online. Shoutoutradio.lgbt is the place to head to. Also, if you'd like to get involved in the show, you'll find ways to contact us there too. Uh, next week, we're taking a look at LGBT plus journalism. Um, but from myself, from Andy, from Terry, and from Steph, and the rest of the team that aren't here, say bye bye, everyone. Bye. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you.